Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Chasing Creativity. I'm Kiran Mandral, your host. Today my guest is Rochelle Potker, who is an award-winning poet, fiction writer, translator, critic, TEDx speaker, and much more. Welcome to Chasing Creativity, Rochelle. Thank you, Kiran. Thank you so much for having me. From a corporate job to the literary world, this is a risky jump, one might say. What propelled you to leave the cushiness of a fixed income for the uncertainty of a creative life? It was uh, definitely a detour and it was definitely a, a digression that I didn't see coming, Kiran. Uh, but then I think that's what life is and, and most of art is, you know, a surprise. So I think the first point of art is that it surprises the artist and it provokes the artist. So I think uh, I would look at it uh, in retrospect as that, that, uh, you know, like uh, this, this profession of uh, art and art making chose me and I would have never chosen it. I had chosen, uh, you know, a management background, advertising, commerce, but I had not chosen art. Art chose me and it continues to provoke uh, whatever it does in me. The thing is that I always consider myself a late bloomer because uh, when I was in the corporate world for a very long time, uh, I had I thought, you know, I looked at the career ladder in corporate life thinking this is where I will head next. Very much like, you know, the monkey climbing that we all love to do, you know, the, the you know, climbing the gym. So I was I was so set on that career ladder uh, that when uh, art came with, uh, you know, like Dabe Pao almost uh, very tiptoeing into my life, I first thought it was a hobby. So I didn't bother much. Uh, and when I realized, no, this is not a hobby. This is the only thing that is giving you happiness. It probably is a profession. It's a passion. It's not a hobby that you could keep it to the margins for long because I was not happy otherwise. I read somewhere that you are fast becoming the face of Haibun in India. Could you tell us what Haibun is and how it differs from Haiku? And of course, how it happened to you? So actually, uh, you know, uh, first and foremost, I'm very surprised as to how, you know, like, um, you know, the how they say the, the public or the perception is. But uh, uh, Haibun is a Japanese prose poetry form and you, you intersperse it with Haiku. And uh, this was a subculture for very long. See, Kiran, poetry in itself is a niche uh, compared to fiction, non-fiction, you know, in, in the whole universe of literature. And uh, uh, Japanese forms like haiku and haibun are a further niche in, in poetry. So it, it had its subculture always. The You would find uh, na- national and international haiku poets who are called haijins and haibuniers who would write haibun, prose poetry and haiku. When I became a short story writer and a poet, I realized haibun is a beautiful form where you could you could write both prose and poetry. And I thought that was wonderful. I took such a liking to that, you know, that I started uh, started teaching that in uh, little, little workshops. When I became uh, the, you know, like an industry expert uh, on the syllabus board of certain colleges, I even recommended this form. And they were very open to bringing this form into the syllabus. They also wanted, of course, books that could support, you know, this kind of studies. And uh, I think I just, I I became mad over this form, which was such an amalgamation of prose and poetry that I started teaching it anywhere, everywhere. And because there are so many writers who are both poets and, uh, you know, fiction writers. There are a bit of storytellers and lyrical people. So they just took took on very quickly to, you know, this form. And I'm still finding, you know, like when I had uh, uh, decided to do a, 
one course on haibun and haiku at the himalayan writing retreat but the like you know the organizer and the curator ketan mahajan said that okay we'll see how it goes for once yeah one will tell us one workshop will tell us how it goes and we are still a year down and we're still doing the workshops with haiku haibun so people are still interested in this new form that uh, is a combination of both prose and poetry so it allows the writer to be both short story like write your stories write your uh, poems and put them together so i think it it a form that liberates you you know so people feel a little more liberated with this form and uh, that's how uh, it's still going on <laughs> between poetry and fiction which is the more challenging medium for you and how do you approach both as a process when i practice or pursue poetry uh, the challenges are not in writing them of course you 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 know you do have to edit even if you know like you write them and even if they're very lyrical and all you still when you come back to it you'll find your editing you know hiccups but i think the publishing of poetry and the marketing of poetry is what is uh, or the consumption of poetry is a big question because uh, indian english poetry is not that consumed so you don't have uh, you don't have agents backing them or you don't have big publishers backing them even if they back them they are, they always question is there a return on investment so uh, you have these commercial questions very capitalistic questions asked for something which is very ephemeral poetry sometimes i wonder how poetry can even survive in a capitalistic world because it's so it's so close to prayer philosophy prophesizing you know it's not really a capitalistic commodity so, so that in itself is a misfit but yeah i think it's the is the bazaar uh, that's the at, at question with poetry and i think when it comes to a uh, novel writing uh, or you know prose writing it's more the outlining because i feel uh, the market is ready for novels of all kinds but uh, it's the creation of it because you must outline it uh, in a way that doesn't uh, you know hamper your creation in the sense it doesn't make it too uh, staid and predictable as a creator and at the same time if if you just write whatever you want to write without an outline there are chances that you will just go out into sea and you'll get lost with that book and then you may have written too much of it which is not needed and you'll have to you know like cull it out and then come back so the outline of the road map is important in this so i think yeah there are different challenges in both i believe you also acted in a movie could you tell us something about it and how it differs from the process of writing to you So I think I, you know this was a very uh, very tiny role in a film called Taramani and it was a Tamil film and uh, I had met uh, director Ram through a sh- short story uh, network online and uh, and once he had seen me and he was casting I think then for Taramani and he said you know he wanted a side character uh, who who looks looks north indian but has lived for 10 years in south india so I was like oh so that's me you know <laughs> i mean i'm a goan so i was like how did i fit into the profile of being a cocktail of north india and south india but whatever maybe goa is in the middle and then uh, i went to give an audition and then he he wanted a fresh face who doesn't have a baggage of any kind so when uh, the audience sees this person even if she is there only for 5 minutes uh, that person no one knows what she's going to do next no one can gauge because it's a fresh face 
so i enjoyed that for me actually it was a very uh, it was a holiday it was an adventure because i i never wanted to be an actor as such i always wanted to be behind the scenes uh, being a writer screenwriter which now i'm i'm pursuing a lot of screenwriting but i never wanted to act because acting is so difficult it is like you empty yourself out and as a writer you take in everything you know so there's a big energy difference and i'm not ready to give so much out there uh, but this was fun this was real fun and we i was uh, playing a seductress kind of a character so i got to just be wild and jump in uh, on the waves and seduce the hero for a while and <laughs> you know like i was this naughty temptress a catalyst to his love story or something like that and yeah it was it was just fun and i i'm, I'm glad that was at one off i did but yeah coming to your next part of the question about uh, perform performance um, yeah when i when i read on stage especially poetry there is a bit of performative element that comes comes into the picture because i i don't think i read like a like a page poet you know i read more like a between a stage poet and a page poet but i think that now because we are in such a public uh, sphere we no longer have that liberty of being the hermit in the cave so i think we have become the public personas who need to be stage ready and stage present so i take it with that with that in that stride you do take poetry writing and appreciation workshops what would you tell folks to start with when they approach poetry yeah so uh, you know uh, i learned a while ago that uh, when you write poetry you you are being confessional and you are being maybe prophetic or maybe you're seeking solace okay you're making sense of the world so what you're not doing is what you know what is the superficial thing like we are not really writing lyrics we are not really uh, wondering about rhythm that happens when you write a poetry you are actually transcending to find and seek something deep very deep okay and you are using it as a, a medium of catharsis okay and a medium of solace and after that yes you publish it and then uh, other people like it and that's what in in fiction also we do the same but because i think you know our characters are our human shields you could you could almost say that this was not me okay but in poetry you usually are yourself you are you are you are your narrator you are the person who's observing it the person i is you most of the times okay most of the times so what happens is easy it's easy to teach poetry because i don't teach poetry from uh, the point of rules or tenets of you know uh, write 575 syllable counts or these are the rules of haibun okay i don't do that what i do is i directly take the participants into a life experience of experiencing emotion and feeling and being natural writers so you transcend the writing by going into seeking and finding what you want so the what comes out is poetry and then we can always sit and discuss the superficial tenets of oh you know this this is a very big word make it a small word but these are technical how do you say na um, play what i really do is connect with the emotions of the pieces of work i'm discussing with them and get get them to that emotional aquifer wherein then they can express emotionally whatever they wish to okay if they are if, and and depends on the state of mind if they are somebody might be in love somebody might have just had a heartbreak somebody might be grieving a loss okay somebody might be grieving the uh, the close death of a dog when you reach that emotional aquifer people start expressing about that dog about that person about the lover about uh, their quests and uh, you know like uh, journeys and they write and you just tell them that you write it lyrically okay that that's the only thing you need to remember 
write it softly don't write it hard this is not an essay this is not journalism don't use big nouns use softer words that's all and the way they write kiran it is surprising once you allow people uh, to break the bars and just write confessionally and lyrically it the 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 pieces that come out maybe draft ones but they're almost masterpieces like you know what come out because you don't hold uh, back uh, in poetry with rules and tenets the rules and tenets i tell them in the end in the end i'll say you know this is a very long uh, you know like a line let's break that word down and make it a shorter shorter image yeah so that's how it goes i don't i don't actually teach poetry i teach them how to express life what is your writing process and your writing routine like so uh, when i was writing poetry alone kiran uh, then i would uh, definitely wait for uh, the poem to come to me and i still i still joke and say that the poem attacks you like a like a you know animal in the woods uh because it comes like one line and then you pull that line and the whole poem comes out like you 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 write it it's one exhalation but uh when i started writing prose and screenplays uh, i knew that inspiration comes when you sit at your desk and it's a very disciplined and drilled work so for novel writing and for screen writing i use the corporate uh trait or work ethics which is you work every single day uh, of course unless you want a saturday sunday break and you just sit at your desk at whatever like post breakfast and you work through the day till uh, whatever sundown and of course i have it i have flexible days but generally i'm on on my desk morning to dawn to dusk and uh, uh, the inspiration just happens with it and the perspiration also and the respiration also happens with it <laughs> but uh, it's a it's, it's a very corporate kind of discipline i have for the prose part uh poets writers these days also seem to need to be performers at readings lit fests on stage could you speak a bit about the dissonance of the private creator coexisting with the performative nature of the poet the author and how easy or difficult has this been for you absolutely in fact uh, only you could have asked this question because you have you are going through this you know all the time so who else will ask this question kiran but uh, but uh, yes i have ha- i have felt that uh, that these two are separate acts in fact in my head i keep calling it the temple and the bazaar because uh, i feel that when i'm in my temple it's it's uh, so peaceful it's so unlimited it's infinite and what i write and create could be you know uh, willfully anything that i want and when i i go there to the bazaar and to these festivals and uh, uh you know book launches and all these bazaar places i have to be this other self but i've made peace with this fact that uh, you will be two people minimum as a as a writer you will be very many people in inside yourselves because of your characters because of the refraction of yourselves but you will definitely be two people minimum as a as a writer or the person that creates uh, you know in infinity and creates whatever she wants and then you will have to be you know like staging staging something uh, within a panel theme and you know within this and that uh, time limitations so i have accepted that and so when i read i try to read from the point where i wrote in the temple so if i wrote a poem let's say a philosophical poem i i tap into the same philosophical uh, solace i had when i wrote it first and uh, read from that space not really caring much about the crowd but uh, going back to that space and i also must say this thing that with every reading the same poem has changed 
okay it has changed over time doesn't matter the audience if i read it in a bangalore poetry festival it's different than when i read it in in goa literature festival because i feel that poems also grow the same words they grow around you and they mold around you and your evolution so the same words become new words and a new poem the same poem okay becomes a completely new poem depending upon whether you read it 2 years ago or you read it 5 years later it sinks deeper into you your own works will sink deeper into you and and be more meaningful the same words who are the poets the authors you turn to when you feel the need to be refueled uh you know so kiran i was not a reader when i before being a writer so i was uh, you know uh, you could call me a face reader a gossiper maybe or a, or a nukkad observer okay i i was not a, because i i've done my graduation in commerce and i've done my mba in marketing and advertising so i'm not particularly i wasn't a reader for the longest time and i have not done a lit- literature study so i wasn't a reader per se if i have read i have read all kinds of uh, fiction maybe less of literary fiction more of all the fast fiction and pulp fiction and all so uh, when even now as a when i became a writer i started reading extensively because i had to cover a lot of ground find my world view find my voice so i read a lot but i had to read so fast because to make sense of this uh, you know this whole idea that i am a late bloomer ki oh my god you know like where, why am i starting so late that was my first question you know all the buses and boats and ships have left and now i'm starting to be a writer so i had to read a lot from everywhere so i don't have any one particular you know favorite author of course i have the william trevers of the world and the jumpa lahiris and i have uh, tessa headley but i don't really have even a very specific favorite uh, you know influences because i started consuming international literature which includes in- indian literature and i consumed it at a very fast rate because just so that i can even to feel like i could write something i needed to really drink in drink up an ocean you could say so uh, my influences when i when i say uh, run out of uh, ink for one project is not another poet's work or another writer's work it is another project if i'm running out of ink on on one project i'll just go to the other project and work on that do you feel as a creative person that creativity should also comment on social and human issues so kiran this is such a deep question and such a troubling question because no matter which point in time in life we've lived as writers life has always been about deviation discrepancy discrimination so it it it, it can't be too far away from your desk and your ink so this question definitely troubled me as well in a in a in a way of soul searching okay like when you soul search because you are embodying characters you are talking about life you are seeing life social life political life you, we are troubled by what's happening around so that that was there so i think um, the answer for me at least i found an answer for me it is like i don't want to have activism or even activism necessarily in my creativity i wanted to be a uh, more stories of catharsis or transformation or entertainment i don't even mind entertainment because in screen writing that is the first thing we look at you know above everything above social realism we look at entertainment popcorn worthiness uh, i don't even mind that because i am also a popcorn consumer who goes to the movies to to get meaning but to get popcorn to get the laughs so i go for this so uh, i go for escape so i i believe in escape but i think uh, i think as uh, you know a citizen of any country or the world after a while you feel like giving back much more than words 
and that's where the activism comes in which i won't even call it activism i i think i just think it's humanity that comes in that knocks in so i would sometimes want to even separate the humanity or the or the need to give back uh, through through my work or maybe i would just give back through uh, you know monetary uh, uh, like uh, support to my pet causes rather than have that channeled only through the stories necessarily of course there will be politics in the stories uh, they cannot uh, can, they cannot not be because your characters will be polit- political and social uh, you know intersected people they they are not going to be uh, completely rank uh, you know neutral people they are, the all characters all story worlds will have a certain intersection of social politics and personal uh, you know dynamics but i don't want to bring too much of that into it if i feel very strongly about something i would like to actually uh, you know kind of do activism outside the page in charity and in support are there any creative exercises you do that help you get into the flow or do you have any kind of writing rituals of any sorts so i think there are many <laughs> in fact kiran you would also know that we <laughs> that we definitely have our quirks and all so mine are very simple but they are very 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 obsessive like i definitely need a very wide window and the window should be beautiful okay it, it can't have concrete a uh, jungle outside so it has to have greenery or it has to have the ocean and the big sky so i'm addicted to a window and uh, windows are very important for me i can place my desk or my working uh, you know corner either to the left or the right but the window is very very crucial okay so i don't care what else is there but there has to be a beautiful window and the window is almost like i'm scrying like it's a crystal ball where i gaze uh, and dream and i i find everything through the window or through the sky or the or the oceans so uh, that is important and otherwise i like everything to be at a very low lighting or at a low level so i don't like anything looming high and very red in color or like that it has to be very muted low lighting or uh, at a at a waste level of furniture and also things have to be more muted and definitely neat a little neat and a little chaotic i don't like a very very neat room because i feel that's a hotel so it has to have a little uh, little scruffy edge here and a little tilt of frame there but yeah these are the few things that are definitely and also a recliner i don't like to sit on the bed and write and i don't like to sit on a desk and chair i have to sit on a recliner where i don't have to worry about my posture why are women who write erotica viewed with a different lens from a man who does so what are the barriers within oneself that you think one needs to tackle when writing erotica so kiran you know i translated poetry and uh, i must say this when you translate poetry visavis when you translate uh, say uh, short stories or something uh, when you translate poetry poetry in itself is a language okay no matter which language it is garbed and robed in poetry is a language of its own so uh, when i translated poetry and i translated uh, sanket mathre's marathi poetry so all i needed to do was get an inside and under the language and go to the depth of what the poet is saying speaking okay through the poetry and once you touch that chord then you can translate you can translate and not only translate but understand any other poetry therefore poetry poets and poetry is such a different language because under everything if you can get the translations you can still uh, tune into that poetry because it is such so uh, it was a very interesting experience but i must say this that um, you know um, uh, what i found is that uh, poetry is like ground water okay uh, the water is the same under the ground 
only it has a lot of language barriers and language names on top like the land like land has borders okay on top on the surface but underneath uh, water underground has no no boundaries and uh, or like the sky above has no boundaries so that is the uh, the beauty of uh, poetry or most of the art that it is everything is yours there's no genre prose can be poetry poetry can be prose and um, of course on the fun part uh, you will notice that uh, when i was translating marathi poetry or when even my poetry was being translated from english to marathi some words were not there like i couldn't find a word like ovalna which is the puja ka thali ka ovalna which you do uh, there's no word for ovalna in english so i had to create a word called called circumcircling the the arti tree so i created that word and it felt beautiful to create a word and i think sanket when he was uh, was translating orgasms he couldn't find a marathi word for orgasm so he had to actually go all all and everywhere asking everybody in marathi for the marathi word for orgasms and imagine what a ball of a time he might have had how should a creative person nourish the creative spirit despite all the challenges that they face on a day to day basis so kiran this is a very pertinent and poignant question and i feel that it comes from a place that uh, you know when uh, it is only supposed to be men who express uh, their desires their sexual desires or uh, the blatancy that they like sex or they like a woman and a woman is supposed to keep that in under wraps her desire under wraps the expression of desires everything is under the wraps the nine yards of uh, disguise and camouflage but um, i feel so the same thing when uh, when you express uh, because i i do uh, you know write a lot on sexual relationships man woman relationships hetero heteronormative relationships because i'm straight and uh, i do try to unearth the double standards that is there in uh, indian society asian society of the world in the terms of sexuality so i have definitely had some amusing eyebrows being raised when i you know wrote an ode to breast in this arithmetic of breasts or even in my poetry when i uh, you know had this poem 10 things i want to do to you which was a highly erotic and listicles actually of what i wanted to do so definitely there's an amusing uh, amusing uh, eyebrow raising but i think this is also because uh, socially we are conditioned that the woman should be mute about her desires or she should be coy and shy about it and she should keep it under wraps uh, because uh, i think society fears somewhere that if a woman expresses her desire and uh, you know how could she just be left then you 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 almost get hit upon after that you know so i've gone to wherever i have expressed uh, poetry or uh, you know like read okay at for that time being it's fine but after that you will definitely get uh, proposed once or twice and you'll have to say no that's just the writer in me it's not me <laughs> it's not me and i think it will take some time but i think now it's even uh, coming to a boil i feel there's a lot more you know blatant feminism out there we are talking about masturbations and orgasms we are talking about marital rape we are talking about polyamory we are talking about things so i think through this conversation society will definitely become more tolerant and balanced and there will be less judgment uh, with uh, who whomsoever expresses their sexuality it's just a matter of some years what would you tell someone looking to establish themselves as a poet or a writer what do they need to know to be prepared for so you know kiran uh, this is uh, i think the eternal questions for uh, for every writer and poet <laughs> you know because i think we face this all the um, many times like in our, like over all the turns and bends so for me one of the things uh, one of the factors is uh, on this is that i started late right so i always felt that i was a late bloomer 
I started writing in my uh, late 20s, like uh, 27, 28, and without a literature background. So by the time I be, uh, like, you know, really found my ground, I was in my 30s. And then in my 40s, I'm, I'm a little more in, in, into, into things. So that is one deterrent that has worked first negatively. But once I caught ground positively, that it never lets me forget that a late bloomer doesn't have the privilege of thinking so much about, uh, you know, uh, those demotivated or low downtime times because you already were started late. So, you know, you always have this feeling, ki, OK, I can't have so much of a privilege. Of course, I can accept that today is not the day or this week is not the week or this phase is not the phase, then I can take a chutti. But I never forget that I was already already late, starting late. So even if I've, if I've caught ground now and I'm on time now, I don't feel that sense of lateness. But I never, I can never forget the, the, that late start. Uh, besides that, um, I think uh, uh, my motivation, uh, my motivation, what I did, Kiran, is uh, during the pandemic this had happened, I was moving from poetry to novel writing to uh, screenwriting. And what I noticed is that if I'm doing many projects, I'm bound to be uh, a puppet, a puppet of the industry or the systems I am in. Okay, so if I'm writing spec screenplays, it will depend, I'll become a puppet of the production houses or the people who are going to say yes, uh, you know, yes or no. And if I'm writing novels, then lesser of a puppet, of course, because here it's much less complex. You're not, you don't have collaborators. So you are just one novelist and one agent and one publisher. But you will still have some setbacks, maybe sometime, but less. But what I decided to do, one very important thing is uh, separate each project from the other. That means if one project ka setback and success is not linked to the other project ka setback and success. So I work in independent hives wherein I don't let, because I, I studied motivation, just like I studied and did PhDs about uh, other things like rivalry and envy and jealousy. I also studied uh, what is creative motivation? What is uh, what is motivation? Is it uh, Does it uh, come from external validation? Does it come from success? Does it come from number of copies sold or book success or good reviews? Or is motivation internal? So I changed my motivation to an internal uh, internal uh, step well of creative compulsion. I realized that I had to go to the core point. Why do I write? Do I write for fame, success, uh, books sold, um, you know, money? Uh, do I write for external validation, great book reviews? No, actually, I write because I'm creatively compelled to write, I tell a story. So if I'm creatively compelled, the motivation also has to be largely and 100% inside you. It doesn't have to be outside because it doesn't come from external factors. So what I did is I changed the control, uh, the control console. I am not seeking for external triggers. It's all internal. So if I feel very good about writing a story, I'll just go all about and write the story. The motivation is 100% with that execution of that story. And finally, what's coming next from Rochelle Potker? <laughs> so, so next, uh, I, I have this novel uh, on, you know, South Asian women. Uh, that it's, it's around the fabric and the garment industry. So it's called Terracotta Goddesses. So that's the novel that's coming up next. And I have a third book of poetry that is called The Inglorious Coins of the Counting House. So that's uh, also coming up in, I think, 2024, because these two projects are taking their own sweet time in getting, uh, finding a publisher and, you know, their slates are full. So they're taking their own sweet time. But I'm like, OK, <laughs> let them take their time. I'm, 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 I was never in a hurry per se with, uh, you know, getting it out. I don't even suffer from this key. Oh my God, there's such a big gap between my previous book and, and next book. I don't even have those problems or, or complexes. I'm like, okay, 
I mean, the world can forget me for a while. Thank you so much, and then it can remember me again when I, when the book comes out. I'm okay. I love anonymity also, and um, and I and some of my screenplays are uh, getting uh, considered by directors and producers, and they want to make them into either feature length or web series. But I have not yet signed a contract, so we are somewhere in the very initial stages of evaluation. So those things are happening. And with that, it is a wrap on this episode of Chasing Creativity. We were chatting with the wonderful Rochelle Potkar. This is Kiran Manral signing out. Do follow me on my social media. I'm at Kiran Manral everywhere, and do subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Binge Pods, and wherever you get your dose of audio content. See you next week. Yeah.